At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. You know, I would like us to just, just before we move forward, um, as all our future graduates just left, but our present graduates are here, I would love for us just to take a minute and pray for Joe Gunnels, and, and specifically the wrestling that his dad is going through right now physically. Uh, Joe's dad is in a, in a heavy fight with cancer, and I, I want... I want that whole family to know that we're fighting that with them in prayer. I mean, this is a serious thing. So let's just take a moment and pray for Joe and his dad and his family right now. Would you join with me? Lord, we thank you that you are greater than anything that comes against us. I pray, Father, that that your name would be glorified through all that they go through, the gunnels go through over these next few weeks, Lord. I pray that you would heal Joe. I know that you will, Lord, whether it be in your kingdom or whether it be on this earth. Father, I know that your name will be highly lifted up. I know that Joe, his dad, Lord, is positioning, or Bill, or Bobby, Lord, I pray that Bobby was just... Uh, pressing into how to live as a man of God in this season of life. Pray that Bobby would know, Lord, your presence with him. And at times of great pain, Lord, he would, he would experience just that comfort washing over him. Pray you give the doctors great wisdom as they provide guidance, Lord. Pray they'd be effectiveness in treatment. But most importantly... I pray that your name would be glorified in all that happens through his life. I pray that Joe would be formed by this experience, that you would not allow a hardened heart, but Lord, allow his heart to remain soft and pliable and use it for your glory, Lord. So bless them and bless us now as we, as we turn into your word. As Joe prayed, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to us, speak to us with clarity, and may we have the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lamentations. Would you turn there with me, please, in your Bible, if you can find it? Hopefully by now we're in week three, and those of you that have been with us for three weeks, you're able to find it a little more quickly. Maybe that first week it was the first time your Bible even opened to the book of Lamentations. It's certainly not a book that we often look to because it's a little bit mysterious and weird and almost countercultural as a Christian. Because we've been told to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We've been told in everything, give thanks. We've been told that in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And then we read Lamentations and we, we hear the emotions of a person that, that biblical history tells us was fully devoted to God. And yet he does a lot of complaining to God. And we think, oh, I don't get that. So let's flip the page and let's go somewhere else. But I believe when we do that, we miss out on something that God has for us. Especially in our culture today, we don't suffer very well. Have you noticed that? 
in our culture, in our time today, when we have a headache, we take, we take ibuprofen. Um, when we're uncomfortable, we turn the thermostat up or down. Uh, when winters are too cold, we head south. When it's too humid, we, went, we head north. Right? We've got all these kind of opportunities to, ex- to escape difficulties. And I wonder if that affects our faith also. Psalm 46, God says that he is a very present help in time of trouble. So if God is a present help in time of trouble and we avoid trouble at all costs, what are we missing out on? His presence with us. At least his presence in a very specific time. So, so let's, let's kind of go back. And, and, I, and I know this is week three. We've got two more weeks after this. And some of you are going to get to next week and you're going to feel like, okay, can we get back to like rejoicing the Lord again always? Come on, because he said it twice. Can we be done with lament? Just like those seasons of life when you say, God, can we be done with this? Because I've been hurting for too long. Or my kids are suffering for too long. Or the circumstance is lasting too long. Can we be done with this? So maybe our time looking at lament is preparing us for greater endurance when it's our turn to suffer. Have you heard the phrase, I'm at the end of my rope? Have you heard that? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that phrase, I'm at the end of my rope. All right. I've said it. Yeah, how many times people have said that? You know, it originated on the farm. That an animal uh, was tied up to a stake or to a fence post, and it was allowed to graze um, in that whole area, right? And once, once that green grass and clovers had been eaten up, he would be out of resources. And then the farmer would see that, okay, now we need to move the rope. So he would take that. The animal was at the end of his rope, reaching out as far as he could. So then he'd pick up the stake and he'd stake it somewhere else. And that would allow this part of the pasture to regenerate while the animal eats this part of the, part of the pasture. But, but we felt that, haven't we? You know, that that end of the rope where we're like, okay, God, I think I've got this. And we realize, whoa, this isn't fun. And so you try to try to experience all that God has for you in this moment. And and then you think, okay, God, we're done with this, right? And you think, whoa, this isn't good. And pretty soon you begin to pray, God, when are you going to change the stake? When are you going to move the fence post? Because, God, I'm at the end of my rope. We're saying, God, I have no resources left. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. And you're not moving. I've asked you for how long. Would you please move the stake? Because there's nothing left here. In fact, all of this is rocky and thorny and it hurts. And this is not good. If you are good, why are you allowing this? 
But since this is here and this is not good, maybe you're not good. Because, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. And if you don't do something, I don't know if I can make it. You been there? It seems to be where the prophet was residing when he writes Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is a book of poetry. There's five chapters. Each one is a separate poem. Anybody here like to write poetry? Is there any poets in the room? Did anybody ever write a poem to your boyfriend, girlfriend? Anyone? There we go. Thank you. So you wouldn't say, yeah, that should be published. (laughs) But you at least had the experience of putting some emotion onto paper because you wanted to say it in a pretty special way. Well, here's the poet probably Jeremiah, who has just experienced one of the most traumatic times in his nation's history. This would be an experience that would mark them for all time. This is when the Babylonian Empire, you've probably learned about Nebuchadnezzar in your history, world history classes, Nebuchadnezzar in his domination of the known world comes to Judah, the nation of, of, of the Jewish people, And he obliterates them. I mean, there wasn't a stone that wasn't unturned. The temple, that one place that surely God will protect, he didn't. And it was smoldering. And Jeremiah puts his pen to the papyrus and he begins to express his sorrows in his poem in a in a structure that we call a lament. A lament is a prayer to God in pain, in suffering. It's expressing more than just mere words, but carefully constructed words to try to capture the emotions of the heart when the heart was mourning. And yet, a lament is directed to God. And in the scriptures, we see that we as followers of Jesus, we can sorrow differently than the world. We're all going to sorrow. But we can sorrow differently because God is in the picture. And there's times where we do maybe even yell at him because he hasn't moved the stake and we're at the end of our rope. And yet still... God welcomes us to his presence. And so Lamentations is five poems. We looked at the first two the last couple of weeks. The first one, 22 verses, and it's an acrostic poem where every verse begins with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 verses, where Jeremiah personifies the sufferings of his nation by saying, we're like a grieving woman, a widow that's mourning her loss. Chapter 2, instead of saying, here's what it is, Jeremiah says, and God, you did this. Chapter 2 is hard to read. It's filled with he and you kind of language where Jeremiah is pulling no punches. He's withholding nothing. He talks firmly to God. And I don't know, sometimes I feel very uncomfortable with that. 
even reading it, but Jeremiah presses in and helps us realize that, that God can handle our emotions. Chapter 3 is interesting. This is the one that's not 22 verses. This is 66 verses. This is an acrostic poem, and yet the first three verses start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The second three verses start with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and on and on it goes. Hebrew language experts tell us that this is the poet's attempt to provide great intensity to his words. So he kind of puts it on triple time to say it's not just one verse is not enough to say this. I'm going to say it three times. I'm going to say this three times. I'm going to say this three times. But it's also a poem where there's a momentous shift in his writings in the middle of the chapter. So chapter 3 helps us know that when we are at the end of our rope, there is a turning point that there can be hope in our season of lament. There is hope in the season of lament. Let's look at chapter 1. First of all, we see the, the poet expressing his affliction and frustration and anger in his time of suffering. Chapter 3 and verse 1 says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Now, who is he in this passage? Help me out, church. This is God. We'd like to think, oh, no, this is the devil, right? Uh, no. Jeremiah is saying, this is what God did to me. I am under the rod of his wrath. He's driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he's turned his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. God has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. God has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayers. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. God is like a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He's turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He's bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. It's not getting any better, is it? This is heavy. He's driven into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all people. How many like to be laughed at? How many like your kids to be laughed at? So why would God allow his people to become the laughing stock of the nations? Verse 16, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. And so I say my endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. 
As I said, the poet expresses with great intensity this affliction and this suffering that he is that he is in. And we rarely go there, but I hope that you hear from this time in Lamentations that God gives you permission to go there. That in fact, when, when we refuse to go there, when we're truly hurting and we put on that plastic happy face, we are robbing God of an opportunity to meet us at the bottom. Because re- the reality is, God is at the bottom. The psalmist says in 130, Psalm 139, he says, Surely, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the top of the mountains, you are there. And all of us would say, yes, I love the mountains. I love being in the mountains. But then the psalmist says, but if I go down to the deepest part of Sheol or the grave or the pit of the world, even there your presence will find me. And if you refuse to admit that you're down in the depths of this experience, we're keeping God from showing himself faithful in the pit. Because he's there too. In those places where it feels like he's missing, where he's forgotten us, where, where maybe his power is, is limited, or where he's not keeping his promises, God is there also. I remember... A time a few years ago, I was walking a beautiful piece of landscape that none of us want to walk. And I was walking across the cemetery from the road where we parked. There's just two cars, mine and, and this young couple. And they had asked me to officiate a burial for their, their stillborn son. And as we're slowly walking to the, the open grave, I told them again of my prayers for them, knowing this is a difficult time. And I'll never forget the words of that young mom when she says to me as she's walking, you know, I just, I just don't really like God right now. And then as a pastor, you get flooded with thoughts in that moment. But one of the thoughts that came to me was when I said that very same thing. When I was at a graveside of my brother and I said, God, this is not good. And I don't like that you let this happen. And I'm not sure I want to hear people talking about you. So as she said that, I thought of, oh, verses to say, you know, God is always with us and he'll help you. And then I just, I realized that, you know, God met me in my deepest time and God's going to meet you too. So I simply, and I don't know exactly how I said this, but I simply remember saying to her, that's okay. That's okay to not like God right now. Because there are seasons in our life when the questions outnumber the answer and the darkness feels heavier than the light and where you would 
see the situation, even in Jeremiah's situation, where who, who attacked his country? Well, the Babylonians attacked his country. So some would say, well, don't blame God, blame the Babylonians. But Jeremiah would say, hey, they can't do anything unless God lets them. So the reason my nation lay in ruins is because God's hand was removed, his protection stopped, and that's what let them happen. So I'm saying, God, why are you treating me like a piece of meat and you're the lion who's hungry? Jeremiah the prophet wrote these words to express to God his deep pain and his great frustration at the circumstances he was in. The awesome thing was that, that Jeremiah expressed this to God. That Jeremiah went to God with this complaint. And in thinking back over that situation with that young couple... I was amazed that though they didn't like God right now, they still came to the pastor to say, would you lead us in this time of burial? So they don't like how God acted, and they even question whether they like God in that moment, but still in that moment, they had this sense, that yet, and yet, God is the one we turn to. The lament is part of a Christian's experience because the world is hard. We lament because God doesn't remove much of the hardship from our world for believers. Now, he may remove some, but the reality is much of what we experience in this world is hard. And yet... We don't run from God. We go to him with our complaint because we can believe that God will meet us in that despair. The, po the, the poet's writings don't end with verse 18. Look with me at the next part of the, of the poem, verse 19. As he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. It's bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now he just said, my endurance has perished, so, my hope, so has my hope from the Lord. My hope is gone. But then he says, and yet I, I say to my mind, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The poet says, I will, in the midst of the circumstances, when I don't like God right now, I will still remember that he is my portion and in him, I will hope. His words as he writes says, this I call to mind. That word for mind 
a, a better word, I believe, probably something more in line with how we would speak is my heart. It's used in a, a, many of the passages of, of, of the Old Testament to describe the deepest part of a person, where the deepest emotions reside. So it's not just thinking logical thoughts. It's going deep in one's heart to say, I'm putting this deeply in my heart because I got to go deep to find it. But deep down, I find this reality that the steadfast love of the Lord never ends. His mercies are new every morning. Don't you love that phrase? His mercies are new every morning. Sometimes we think, I don't know how I can go on, but all I have is today. God says, well, that's all we need to worry about then, just today. Know that my mercies are new for you today. They will be sufficient for you. My love will be demonstrated to you today. Tomorrow, we're going to worry about that tomorrow. But today, just know that still, though you don't feel it, though you're not seeing it, my word is true, that I am with you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. As Jesus said, I will never leave you. No, I will never forsake you. Notice that the circumstances don't change. It's not like Jeremiah gets to this point and he looks up and says, Oh, I didn't see the renovation team showed up. Now my city's built back up and the temples look looks good. Oh, good, there's hope. It was in the midst of the rubble where he's able to say, truly, his mercies are new and his faithfulness is unending. The poet explains that if God truly is loving and he's merciful and is faithful, like his heart was embracing, that there is hope for the future. Which is incredible, because this is Jeremiah, who is able to say through the years, the steadfast love of the Lord never fails to the people, where he says to them, you need to repent or God's going to send judgment. And they laughed at him and threw him in a well. And from the well, he says, you need to repent or God's going to send judgment. And so they pick him up out of the well and they put him in a dry well. Said, okay, then you don't get water either. They put him in stocks and said, actually, we're going to keep you in stocks until we fight this battle against the Babylonians. And then after the Babylonians are defeated, we're going to come back to you and say, now what do you have to say, Jeremiah? So when the Babylonians came in, they found Jeremiah in the stocks. So here's Jeremiah that faithfully proclaimed that if you turn to God, he will keep the judgment from coming. They didn't turn from God. Judgment came. But in the depths of his heart, he had this belief. But God is still good. And his mercies are new. And though all we see around us is rubble, the reality is, we woke up today. Which tells me that I can hope one more day. We can hope one more day. And here we are, Christians, in the 21st century, looking back to this poem that was written 500 B.C. with a whole better perspective because God has provided us one 
more argument for this. And he says to us, the death and resurrection of my son proves that my mercies are new every morning. Because you're suffering, I have suffered. I have sent my son to your world who would experience the rejection of his world, who would put him through the greatest suffering that any human being would, be, would, would ever have. But all that suffering would be on your account so that the suffering one day would end. And that as you're going through this season, waiting for the end of suffering, you can know that God understands and he's bringing finality. He's bringing an end to the most difficult of times. In fact, Jesus said this. Just after he said to his disciples, he's, he said in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have a lot of trouble. But fear not because I've overcome the world. And as you're facing this trouble, you can have peace because of that. He ended that statement. They arose. They left that room. They encountered his betrayal. He was arrested, put through a mock trial, hung on the cross, and he gave his life for us. And he rose from the dead three days later to say, this is what I'm talking about. That when this world, we will have suffering. You may even be nailed to a cross. But because I rose from the dead, you can bet that you will too. So the worst that this world can throw at you is not greater than the best that the Father has in store for you. And then and Jesus also said, so here's what I want you to do, children. Brothers and sisters, followers of mine, here's what I want you to do. Often, when you get together, some of you will come together having the best week of your life. It was great. You've got stories to tell. This is awesome. There's some of you will come as you're gathering and you're going to be beaten. You're going to be crushed. You are going to have, whoa, you're going to have the rope click to your collar and you're going to say, I am at the end of my rope. I can't do another day. And when you gather together, what I want you to do, I want you to remember by taking bread, breaking it, and saying, Jesus suffered for me. That as, that as my life feels like I'm crushed, I can know that I'm crushed but not forsaken. I'm bruised but not cast down because I'm carrying with me the body of Jesus. Reminding myself that he was broken for me so this suffering can eventually end. And, and when you gather, Jesus says, take this cup and, and drink it. This is the new covenant in my blood. Know that my death and, and sacrifice for you has purchased your eternal salvation. So that when you experience all the glory that I've reserved for you, you can look back to your life of suffering and say, boy, that doesn't compare a bit to the glories that I'm experiencing now. 
So as we've gathered together, church family, let's do that. Let's, let's remind ourselves that Jesus has suffered for us. So that when we suffer, we know that this is not the end. This is not the final word. But the final word is Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection. In fact, as we prepare to celebrate communion, I'd like to read a verse for you. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Men that are prepared to serve us the elements, let's go ahead and distribute those to our church family. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as the elements are being distributed. This is what Paul writes. He says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested to our mortal flesh. Death is at work in us, but life in you. We remind ourselves often the death and resurrection of Jesus because it gives us hope when we're suffering. Because our sins are forgiven. He's cleansed us. There's nothing standing between us and an eternity with God. It's all cared for. So we can know that the, the closest thing to hell you will ever experience if you've placed your faith in Jesus is now. This is the closest thing to hell. And sometimes you feel like it's pretty close. But it's not. This isn't hell. We're not reserved for judgment if we've placed our faith in Jesus. We know that it all gets better from here. We're going to see him face to face. We'll be like him. We'll experience the pleasure of his presence forever. We'll experience the joy of discovering all the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. We'll be in his kingdom. We'll reign with him. We'll discover all the incredible wonders of Jesus as we do work in his kingdom not shackled by ropes of heartache and death and rejection and fear and sickness, layoffs. All that's gone. The rope's been cut. We are now with Jesus. That's our destiny. That's what we celebrate as we spend time together. You, you receive this element there's two sections to it. If you take that clear cellophane wrap and remove that, it exposes this little wafer that reminds us of the body of Jesus. Jesus said, take this and eat it. Eat it in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus' death together. Remove that foil wrap over that cup. Expo expose the, the juice. 
that reminds us of the cup that Jesus gave to his disciples when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's, let's remember Jesus together. Brother and sister, we don't have to pretend that life doesn't hurt. We don't have to pretend when we talk to Jesus that it doesn't hurt. We don't have to pretend that we're upset with him at times. But true lament goes to God and said, God, this is how I'm feeling. And I ask for you to meet me. Because I'm going to trust in you. Father, I pray your blessing on, our pe on your people, Father, as we spend time thinking and processing. And maybe some of us are mourning right now. Some of us, Lord, in the quietness of our heart, we can express anger to you right now. But I thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. You are faithful. Your love never ends. And our wrestling and our struggle doesn't pull us away from you. I thank you that when we go down to the pits of the earth, Lord, you are there, ready to meet with us. And I pray you do that now. I thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus who's paid for our sin. Pray, Lord, that in this moment you just minister to us as we think and process and pray and sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.